Bible says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's that next word? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Someone needs to hear that today. Someone needs to hear it today. You know, you think that God's been uh, AWOL or missing in action. He is not. He never is. He is with you always to the end of the age. Let me read it one more time. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Father, thank you. God, thank you for your word today. God, as we study the scriptures, God, as we, as we read what you have, have written for us in Revelation, and God, to respond in obedience, we pray you would mobilize this church. We pray you'd unite this church. We pray that we would be a church on your mission, God, not our mission, not the mission of the culture, not the mission of the relevant church, but we would be on the mission of God. God, stir us. Only your Holy Spirit can align our hearts to your purposes. And so, God, we pray today. We pray today. Do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. In 1967, some of you know your history. In 1967, uh, Egypt declared war on Israel. And, you know, Israel was a really young nation at this point in time, 1948. The United Nations uh, gave them uh, the charter, the Jews, the charter, the right to, uh, to repopulate the, their homeland again. First time in the history of the world that a people group that had been without a homeland for 2,000 years uh, was able to come back and not only have a homeland, but have a culture and have a language. And so it was a miracle of God. Well, 18 years into that, um, the nation surrounding the nation of Israel did not like that they were allowed to come back to their homeland. So the president of Egypt declared war against Israel. And he said, that this is what he said. He said, we are going to go into Palestine and we are going to push all of the Jews into the Mediterranean. That, that was what he wanted um, to have happen. And he was doing this in alliance with Syria and Jordan. So, you know, if you look at your map later on, you can see Israel is a tiny tract of land. It's no bigger than um, Rhode Island, the state of Rhode Island. And so at that point in time, this little tiny land um, filled with not a lot of people was surrounded by nations that wanted to totally uh, wipe them out. And Israel uh, responded very proactively. They had uh, something in place called Operation Focus because they thought something like this would happen. And so they responded immediately. They mobilized their air force and the Air Force flew into Egypt, wiped out all of the air bases and all of the planes that were on the ground. Um, and then they went over to Jordan, they did the same. And then they went up to Syria and they did the same. And because they established air supremacy, they were able to also establish supremacy um, on the ground with their, with their military. 
And what happened was a miracle in six days. In six days, God gave them the victory. Because... And, and there's three reasons why, that, why God gave, for sure was a miracle, but they positioned themselves for a miracle. Number one, the leadership was, was clearly focused on the mission. Number two, the people were united. They were, they were all united as one. There was no conflict, no division, um, no mission drift within the people. And number three, all of their resources and assets were leveraged. So they used collectively everything that they had. Um, and just in case you don't know, they were outmanned two to one. They had, uh, Egypt had three times as many tanks and three times as many aircraft. So probability was not on the side of Israel, but God was on the side of Israel. And as the leaders were focused on the mission, as the people were united, as they leveraged all of their resources, that latent potential within that nation was manifested, and God did a mighty thing. I say all of that to say I think that is a picture of what is possible with the church of the living God. I think, I think, I think this, and I think this because I'm a, I'm a pastor, of course, you know, that's burden for the lost, but I think, what could God do if? What could God do if? If leadership had clear mission, if the people were united without division or schism or mission drift, if we all leveraged the resources that we have to fulfill the purposes of God. If those three things happen, let me tell you what will happen. And I'll say it like this. A strong, focused church will change the world. A strong, focused church will change the world. A strong, say it with me, all right? A strong, focused church will change the world. And you know what? If, if um, you're a Christian and if you're part of a local church, if this is your local church, that's exactly what you should be aiming for. You should want to be a part of a church that is focused, so much so that it has world-changing impact. Today, of course, you know, we're going through 10 keys to a strong church. We're taking two every week. Uh, the two that we're talking about today are following spirit-led leadership and generously giving following spirit-led leadership and generous giving, and I believe that these two things are tied together. First and foremost, church leaders must be focused on God and his mission. Like if the church is going to have an impact today, let me just ask you this question. How many of you people today want to see the church have a world-changing impact? Yeah. Well, number one, if that's going to happen... Church leaders must be focused on God and his mission. You know, from time to time, I run into people who are like, you know, I don't believe in the institutional church, and I don't believe in the organized church. And, and I say, hey, peel that back for me. What exactly are you talking about when you say organized church? And sometimes they'll say, well, you know what, we're all, we're all Christians, and there really shouldn't be any leadership structure. And, and I say, well, wait a minute. You know, Jesus is the one who established leaders in the church. Jesus is the one who established leaders in the church. He started with 12 apostles who were leading the church. Not only that, but you know there's a loving order of leadership in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you also know that there's a loving order of leadership in the family, husband, wife, and children? 
And so also, as those things are a pattern, God himself has established loving, ordered leadership in the church. Paul says it like this. Paul's instructing Timothy, and he's instructing Titus. These guys are young pastors. Titus is the pastor over all of the churches on the island of Crete. And he says, in every church, make sure you establish elders. You need to establish leaders because it's the responsibility of good, godly leadership to lead the people in fulfilling the mission of God. Hey, you don't want to be in a church where the church leaders are leading the people to fulfill their mission or to fulfill the culture's mission, or like the new thing that's relevant in the church. You want to be part of a church where the church leaders are leading people in fulfilling God's mission. You say, well, what is God's mission? I'm going to give you the baseline of the mission of God as we look at the scriptures. Number one, church leaders, good godly church leaders should be focused on God and his mission. And that means, number one, they're leading people in the worship of God. Number two, they're leading the saints to grow as disciples of Christ. Number three, they're leading God's people to reach the lost. That's what good, godly leadership does. Is that okay with you today? Are you, are you, all, are you all right with that mission? You say, you give me some scriptures today, Pastor. I say, thanks for asking. Here they are. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, we're just going to talk about worshiping God. Remember Paul in this section of Scripture? He is encouraging uh, the believers in Ephesus. He's praying for them that they would know the love of Christ. It transcends time and space itself. But then he says, you know, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. And then he wraps that Prayer up by saying, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, so he's saying, hey, in the church, among the people of God, first and foremost, God is the one to be glorified. God is the one to be magnified. God is the one who should be exalted, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer, the one and only one who's worthy of your trust and faith, the rock of your salvation. Are you with me today? It's not the brand of a church. It's not the name of a pastor. It's not a particular denomination or movement or tribe within Christianity that gets the glory and the honor. It is God. When we gather together, fundamentally, first and foremost, this is what we're saying. God, we want you to be worshiped in this place. We're not just rolling in to check a box or to pacify our conscience. God, as the people, your people are gathered together, be the one. Be the one that every eye is drawn to. Be the one that every song is sung to. Be the one that every life is surrendered to. God, be the one to receive the gifts and the offerings that are extended because you and you alone are the one who is worthy. Are you with me today on that? The The second fundamental, I'm just talking fundamentals here. The second fundamental for leadership, good godly leadership, is that the mission is to grow God's people as followers of Jesus Christ. Of course, you know, we've just talked about this as we're going through spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is talking about how five gifts in particular are given for a specific purpose. And this is the way he says it. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So the second fundamental that we see as a mission for good godly leadership is the people of God should be maturing in their faith. The people of, of God should be growing up and getting stronger. They should be more and more resembling the image of Jesus Christ. And then the third fundamental, which I know is, is, it seems obvious, but I have to say it anyway, is that good godly leadership leads the people of God to reach the lost with the gospel. Of course, we just read Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, which is not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's the commissioning of not just the apostles, but the people of God. And the way Jesus says it is this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, go, like you, you all, for all generations, you all go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are the three fundamentals. Like anything less than that, anything less than that. I mean, there may be some nuances on top of that for a particular church, but anything less than that, than that I'm just going to tell you, brothers and sisters, don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. You have every right when you roll into a church to say, where's this church going? Where's this church? What is this church about? Like, where is the leadership pointed? You, you have every right. And listen, it is your responsibility as a follower of Christ to know that. You know, it, I'm heading to Mexico City in a, uh, about a week or so, and we're going to go to Brazil too. And I travel a lot. I fly a lot. So I'm used to the routine, right? You get on the airplane. I try to get as much work as I can done while everyone's loading up. And then, you know, they start saying, hey, you know what? Close your tray tables and put your cell phones and... Um, the airplane mode, and I'm like, what is that all about anyway, okay? I'll tell you, like, I never do that. I never do that. If a plane goes down because of that, you can probably bet that I was on the airplane. <laughs> all right. I'm like getting the last possible text in in the last possible second and throwing off an email. But, you know, all of that gets done, and they go through the motions of showing you how to connect your seatbelt just in case you forgot, and, you know, if, if the you know, the whole routine. What if, after all of that was done, the pilot came on and he said, hey, listen, good to have you all on board today, and um, I just want to let you know I got the manifest, and we're going to Mexico City, but I don't really feel like it. I don't really feel like it today, and so, you know, I thought maybe we could do a little something different. I just feel like maybe we'll fly for a while. You know, we'll, we'll take off and we'll get above the clouds and it'll be cool. We'll just cruise. We'll cruise at 30,000 feet and we'll just see what happens. I'm like, I'm buckling my butt, belt buckle. I'm, I am off the airplane, right? I am off that airplane. I don't want to be on a plane where the pilot has no idea where he's going. And you don't want to be a part of a church where the church leadership has no idea where they are going. And I don't think this is rocket science, right? I think that spirit-filled Christians want to be a part of a church that has a mission. Because, listen, you don't just go to church. Right? 
right? The way we talk about it, it's all messed up. Hey, what church do you attend? I, I, don't, I, don't, I just want to let you guys know I don't attend church. I don't att- I'm engaged in church. I'm engaged. I don't just go. I don't just attend. I'm not just sitting in a seat. And you shouldn't just be going. You shouldn't just be attending. You shouldn't just be sitting in a seat either. You should be locked into what God is doing because it's not just enough to have good, godly church leaders that are focused on God and his mission. It is a responsibility of every Jesus follower in every local church. It is a responsibility of every Jesus follower in every local church. Hey, unless you're not born again yet. And if you're not born again yet, well, well, we'll share the gospel with you, and then you can put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and get liberated and freed and healed and rescued and redeemed. And then you can understand how much he deserves because you know you didn't do that. You didn't do that for you. He did that for you. He went to the cross for you. And when you're confronted with the vileness of your own sin and you recognize that God made a way by his grace through his own son, you're like, I'm not living for myself anymore. This whole thing's not about me. And so you get conveyed or brought into the kingdom of the son who is the object of the father's love. And your whole life has changed. And it's your responsibility to be focused on God and his mission as well. I say all of that. And, and I say, why then are so many Christians wasting their lives? Why, why are so many churches ineffective? And I, I think that the answer is because they're missing the mission. They're missing the mission. Hey, it's, it's one thing to sit here and say that you're for God's mission it's another thing to be giving yourself completely to God's mission. Those are two different things. And you know, sometimes we evaluate ourselves and judge ourselves by our intentions and other people by their actions. It's like, well, we, we make our evaluation of how, how engaged or how in we are based on the way that we feel. And I'm saying, no, it's got to be more concrete than that. It's got to be more concrete. Living for God's mission means giving yourself to God's mission. And when he said, they're, they're the, it's the shortest word in the Great Commission, but it's the most profound word in the Great Commission. When he said, go. When he said, go. Like this was everything that's wrapped up into that word. Right? We have a very selfish, self-centered, self-oriented, me-first Christian culture that wants to be pandered to and catered to, and you can't read the Great Commission and, and, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't read the Great Commission and choose that type of Christianity. When he said go, he's saying this, all, all of you, all of you, All of you are given to this mission. This is my mission. It's the Father's mission. It's the Spirit's mission. And you live it out with missional living. You live it out by prayer and preaching. You live it out by using your spiritual gifts. And you use it out by focusing your finances on Christ and his kingdom mission. Some of you are like, man, I know where we're going this morning. Did, did you know, according to Barna, a recent survey, that only two out of five Christians practice regular 10% giving? Two out of five Christians practice 10% regular giving. I think two things. I think, I, first of all, I think, man, how much more could be being done for the kingdom of God? 
How much more could be being done for the kingdom of God? Like back to our illustration, leadership that's focused, people that are united, assets that are being leveraged, resources that are being leveraged. How much more, number one, could be being done for the kingdom? And then number two, like what does that say about our heart as Christians in our country? What, what, what is happening within Christianity in the United States of America when, when we're at a place where only two out of five Christians are regular and consistent in their worship, in their obedience, in their engagement with the mission of God? I'm going to give you a principle today. I'm going to give you a principle. And let me just say this on the front side. Sometimes when there's messages on giving, you know, it can be uncomfortable. I don't feel uncomfortable, so you shouldn't either. I don't feel uncomfortable, so you shouldn't either. Because I'm not manipulating or compelling or obligating. I'm just going to teach you the Bible. Okay? I'm going to teach you the Bible. I'm going to teach you the Bible. And if you're a spirit-filled Christian, then you're, you know what? You're going to listen, and you're going to pray, and you're going to let God minister to you. God's going to do the work. Because this is not my, this is not my, I've had, Rachel and I have had our own journey on this, which has been amazingly rewarding. But here's your principle. When your finances are consecrated to kingdom giving, the rest of your life will be consecrated to the kingdom mission. When your finances are consecrated to kingdom giving, the rest of your life will be consecrated to the kingdom of mission. Uh, to the kingdom mission, because you know, some, some more often than not, our, our, our pocketbook, you know, or our app, I don't even know how to say it now because we, a lot of us don't even carry wallets, but you know, our resources, our finances are oftentimes the last thing to be sanctified in our lives. And I'm just making the argument today that if, if, if they were the first thing to be sanctified, everything else would follow that much easier. Sometimes what happens when pastors talk about giving, it can be difficult because there's a lot of skepticism. And maybe, you know, you've gone down the road of giving and you've been burned by an organization. I've been burned by multiple Christian organizations. And let me just say this. If you give with all of your heart for the purposes of God and some organization isn't handling finances uh, responsibly, God is going to deal with that organization and, and your giving still matters in the eyes of God, okay? I'm, I'm not justifying how things are mishandled. I'm saying that God is able to sort those things out. Sometimes for us, we can just be skeptical. It's like, man, you see stuff go down, and typically, it's always the bad examples that get the PR, you know, that, that, that get the, you know, they, they're the ones that are talked about. And there's so many more that are, are, that are solid in their principles and in the guidelines that they follow. It is good for you to make sure that organizations that you support, like our church, have a yearly audit, have good, godly, gifted professionals that are overseeing the finances, not people who don't know what they're doing, and that there are multiple layers of accountability. You should, you should expect that, you know? We take that very seriously, and that can diffuse a lot of skepticism. Sometimes, listen, sometimes giving is difficult to talk about because there's just a lot of confusion. People don't really, I had someone say to me today, thank you, Pastor, for talking about this uh, today because not a lot of people talk about it, and sometimes pastors are afraid. 
You know, it can be like one of those things. I, I think someone one time said, you know, as a, as a pastor, don't mess with people's, don't mess with their politics, don't mess with their children, and don't mess with their money. And anytime you, like, are treading into that territory with people, things can get a little hypersensitive. And so, so sometimes pastors are just afraid to talk about it. But the thing is this, how can you not talk about it? Like, if we're going to talk about really being a worshiper of God, how can we leave our financial resources out of that conversation? We can't. And not only, uh, not only can't we, that doesn't sound right at all, but Jesus didn't. Jesus talked a lot about giving, giving resources. You know, there's a lot of misinformation. When we started in ministry, there were people that told us. They said, hey, listen, you're in the ministry, and so you don't have to give financially. You give of your time, your family makes sacrifices, you're using your spiritual gifts. And I bought that line for a while, but let me tell you something, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. If you're in the ministry and you're leading God's people, giving, giving as an example starts with you. It starts with us. It starts, it starts, with, it starts with me. And we had, a, we had a revolution in our approach to this, you know, many years ago. And the freedom and the joy and the excitement and the pleasure of worshiping God in giving financially, even when it hurt, right? Because oftentimes, oftentimes it's not until you're in the moment of sacrifice, like the widow with her might, and you have that opportunity to trust God and to do what's right or to hold it back for yourself, which thinking that in holding it back, you're going to be better off, the whole thing's a lie. That whole, that whole way of thinking is a lie. But there were things that had to be undone in our life as well. And so it's an easy thing really to talk about. I want to give you six principles today with respect um, to kingdom giving. And I'm going to be really intentional about how I say it today. Six principles on kingdom giving that I believe, because it's from the Bible, will really bless your life, okay? Just have an open heart. The first one is this. Kingdom giving is obedience to God and his word. Kingdom giving is obedience. It's obedience to God and to his word. In the beginning, in the very beginning, right off the bat, you have Cain and Abel bringing their offerings to God. Right off the bat, you have Abraham who was confronted with Melchizedek after he won the victory and had all the spoils of war. He's standing before a pre-incarnate appearance of, of Jesus. And what does he do? He gives a tithe. Tithe simply means a tenth. He gives a tenth of his gross right off the top as an expression of worship. In the book of Leviticus, as God has gathered the children of Israel together and he's giving them social laws and religious laws and transcendent moral laws, he establishes giving as part of their, uh, as part of their ritual of worship. And for uh, the children of Israel, it started with a tenth. It started with 10% as, as the beginning point. But then as you study Leviticus, you know it wasn't just 10%. It was also giving at the festivals. There were offerings and contributions. If you owned a piece of property, you would leave the corners for the poor. And so some scholars believe, you know, if you were living in Israel 3,000 plus years ago and you were talking about giving, kingdom giving, 
it was anywhere upwards of 25%. And then when you get to the church, what you see in the early church is extreme giving. It's extreme giving. Read Acts chapter 1 all the way through chapter 7, and you discover that there was this heart of generosity among the people of God where they were pouring out their resources to worship God and for the benefit of other people. From my point of view, they started with 10%, but they went beyond that. I do have people who say to me, hey, pastor, wait a minute. You know, we're not under the law. We're under grace. And the tithe was under the law. That, by the way, is not true because I just shared with you that Abraham gave the tithe to Melchizedek um, some 400 years before the law. But even if that was the argument, hey, pastor, we're under grace, not the law, it's not 10%. I would say if the law commanded 10%, how much more does grace deserve? Right? Because you know what happens? People who say that to me, they're like, their mindset is how, what's the least I can give and get away with it in the eyes of God? Right? They're, they're thinking, hey, we're not under the law, we're under grace, so how about nine? How about 8.5? Do I hear eight? Do I hear seven? Can I get a five? Can I get a four percent from anyone in the congregation today? And it's interesting how, you know, our argument can go in the direction of getting, giving less than really God deserves because it really is all about what God is worthy of. I want to remind us this is a commandment, not a suggestion. Jesus said it like this. He said, when you pray. He said, when you fast. And he said, when you give. And God takes our giving seriously. The children of Israel, I'm sure you're familiar with Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. The children of Israel, were, Israel they were going through some of the rituals of worship, but they had left giving out. They were coming to the tabernacle but, uh, on, on Saturday, on, on Shabbat, but during the week, they were spending all of their money and their resources on the Hebrew Home Depot. And so, so they had no money left over for God. They weren't prioritizing God. They weren't being obedient. And so through the prophet, God says this, will man rob God? Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? And he already knows their argument. He says, but you say, how have we robbed you? My God, you're God. How have we robbed you? And the answer, in your tithes and contributions. In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God says, I have held back from you because you've held back from me. And you know, sometimes we think, man, really, is God that petty? Is God that petty? Is God that needy? Does God really need the last five bucks in my wallet? God's not after your money, people. God's after your heart. God is after your heart. And giving is an act of obedience. And obedience is an opportunity to express our love for God. And giving is an indication of your consecration. Giving is an indication. Think, just think... Think it through. Think it through. Giving is an indication of your consecration. What happens is this. You know because you've walked with God for some time that everything that you have is not because of you or from you. It's because of him and from him. Right? And so when you're giving, what you're saying is, God, you know what? I'm consecrated. The whole is consecrated to you, God. 
The whole is consecrated. Everything belongs to you. It's come from you. But God, as an expression of my consecration, I give this to you as an act of obedience. If you're taking notes today, the second thing is this. Kingdom giving reveals where your heart, what your heart truly treasures. Kingdom giving reveals what your heart truly treasures. One way you can test your mission credibility is through your financial accountability. One way that you can test your mission credibility is through your financial accountability. By that, I just simply mean you, can, you and I can sit and say that we are mission-minded all day long. But you know what? Ch check out the ledger in your checkbook. Go online and go through all of your transactions. And do your transactions really reflect that you have prioritized the things of God? Because the reality is this, we spend our money on what matters most to us. We spend our money on what matters most to us. Our spending habits indicate what we prioritize. You say, well, where's that in the Bible? I say, thanks for asking. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, you know, this is what Jesus said. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. Check it out. Say it with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, he's just saying this. He's like, hey, you got two options, y'all. You got two options. You can invest in stuff that doesn't last forever or you can invest in things that will last forever. But just so you know, the choice that you make is going to indicate where the treasure of your heart truly lies. You are going to know what your heart treasures by how you spend your resources. The third principle today is this. With the right spirit, let me say it again, with the right spirit, kingdom giving is an act of worship. With the right, you guys with me today? With the, you're like, how many points do you have? I've got 10. No, I'm just joking. I don't. With the right spirit, kingdom giving is an act of worship. Paul uh, was instructing the church at Corinth, very wealthy church, on how to give and how to give consistently. And what he said was this. He said, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. He said, on the first day of the week, he's talking about the first day of the week being Sunday, the gathering of God's people to um, commemorate, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, each of you, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, treasure in heaven, as he may prosper. So Paul is indicating that among God's people, kingdom giving should be consistent. It should be regular. It's not obligated. It's not manipulated. You don't give because, you know, there's a hype person that's preaching and everyone's emotionally stirred up. No, listen, it is a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a consistent part of your worship. It's not arbitrary. You've thought it through, like you've considered it. You know, it's there's a regularity with how we spend our money. We know that we need to be disciplined for our bills. We know that there's probably some hobbies that we'd like to invest in. Our, our nails need to get done. <laughs> right? We got to get, get our hair cut. And so there's a, there's a real regular discipline that we think through, that we need to be responsible 
too. And oftentimes giving isn't even in the conversation. And the thing is this, it should all start with giving. It should all start with giving. Before all of that, before the bills, before the hobbies, before the nails, before the hair, should come an act of worship. An act of worship right off the top. God, in giving this, I'm declaring your worth. I'm declaring your value. I'm, I'm declaring, God, it's not just the songs I sing. It's not just my hands that are made available to you. It's not just my lips that are consecrated, but all these resources, Father, that you've entrusted to me, I want to give back to you as an expression of praise. Not bitter, not begrudgingly, like, i got to write out another check to God, you know. He's, he's just... <laughs> This is so miserable, you know. Yeah, another stinking QR code's up on the screen, you know, scan it. And then you're like, I'm just going to fake scan it. You know, you got your phone out, and it's like, dude, you're not scanning nothing. You're not, you're not, you're not scanning nothing. Be- because the attitude's all messed up, right? The attitude's all messed up. Paul said this to the church at Corinth. He said, for the ministry of this service is not supplying, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Paul, Paul's saying, hey, listen, I just want to encourage you. Not only is, is your giving blessing, I just, I want to say this. I didn't say this at the first service. It just crossed my mind. Thank you for giving. Thank, for all of you who faithfully give to the mission and give to the kingdom of God, I want to thank you for that. I know you do it for God. You certainly don't do it for me. But I want to thank you because so many people have been blessed and so many lives have been changed and so many churches have been planted. And you need to, you need to hear it. And we're, we're in a worship center today and, and there's an awesome lobby and a coffee shop and we've got screens and there's so much that God has done through your giving. But listen, overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's like the, the giving that we do must come from an overflow of gratitude. Our attitude, our disposition, you know, it's like we're not begrudging, we're not bitter, we're not thinking, man, I sure, I sure would have liked a new set of golf clubs, I sure would have liked to have gone to Cabo, you know, but I've got to give instead because pastor gave a message and he's probably checking the giving record. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm just so you know, I have no idea what anybody gives in this church. God does, and that's all that matters. But we ought to be giving with gratitude, And in fact, Paul goes on to say, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, Mary was like this. Mary of Bethany, you remember she had her whole life savings in a jar, an alabaster container that was filled with oil of spikenard. And she's moved. She's moved by the Spirit of God. She loves Jesus so much. She's overwhelmed. She goes and she gets her whole life savings and she brings it out and she peels back the lid and the fragrance of her worship filled the room and then she poured all of it. She poured all of it over his head and over his feet and you know the story, you've read it. There was grumbling among the disciples. There was complaining among the disciples and this was the conversation. You know what? That could have been used for, to, 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 to minister to the poor could have been used to minister to the poor. And as you read the different gospel accounts, you discover that it was Judas Iscariot that was the root of that bitterness. He was the root of that dissension. He was the root 
of that uh, divisive attitude. Hey, listen, be very careful of putting yourself in a place where you are judging someone else's act of worship. Like, don't put yourself in that spot. You have no right to be there. And you know he's got this attitude. He's got this attitude because, because the guy's been pilfering from the money box. He's the guy. He's the, he's the, he's the, he's the church administrator, the bad version that's got the money box. And you know, he's been taking money. He's been lining his own pocket. He didn't care about the poor. He was thinking, man, you know what? I could have gotten that for myself. And so he's got this attitude. And then you know what he does because he has such a low value for Jesus. He sells him out for 30 shekels of silver. It's the spirit of greed. And then you know where that story goes. He ends up so overwhelmed with guilt. He hangs himself. And I just want to say to us today, let's not have... Let's not have the spirit of Judas in our hearts. Let's not have the spirit of greed, right? Let's, let's not have the attitude where it's like, oh, great, another message on, on giving. You know, we could have spent our time talking about other stuff. Like that reaction already says there's a problem with the attitude. And, you know, if, you, if you're living in that place, you will be a critic of everybody else. You'll, you'll turn a blind eye to your own personal issues, and you will sell out what matters most for what matters least. You will sell out what matters most for what matters least, and you will get strung up. You will get hung up. You will become disillusioned in your relationship with God, and you, you'll go sideways. And one day you'll come to your senses, and you'll, and, and you'll think, how in the world did I ever get here? And I would say it started with a spirit of greed. The fourth thing, and I love this about kingdom giving, kingdom giving is an antidote to idolatry. Kingdom giving is an antidote to idolatry and covetousness. And you say, hey, you know, idolatry is not a big issue today. H hello? <laughs> what city do we live in? We live in Las Vegas, man. Like the, 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 the cultural god of our city is more. It's Baal, more sex, more food, more gluttony, more alcohol, more experience. This, this, we are known worldwide for the cultural God that's worshiped here. And you know what? If we're not, we marinate in it and we start to think, hey, it's okay. You know what? I'm going to adopt the more attitude. Guard your heart against that. Guard your heart against that by choosing generosity. Be strategic in your generosity. Instead of thinking when you get the raise, how much more money can I get so I can spend it on these other things, choose, choose a simple lifestyle so that you can dedicate your giving to the purposes of God. And it will guard your heart. It will guard your heart. The rich young ruler had an idol on his heart, and Jesus knew it, right? He came saying, what must I do to enter eternal life? And Jesus knew there was an idol, a cultural God. And so Jesus said to him, take all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And you know, the young man, he went away sorrowful in his heart and Jesus loved him, the Bible said. And, and he wasn't saying, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to give up everything and sell to the poor. He was identifying an idol in this young man's life. And I think there are so many Christians who have the idol of more sitting on the throne of their heart. And God is saying, give that away. Give that away. Put that in its place. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? Fifth thing today is this. God's uh, kingdom giving is God's avenue for supplying your needs. 
Kingdom giving is God's avenue for supplying your needs. What I'm saying is this, when you give, it's an act of faith. When you're generous to the kingdom of God, it's an expression of your faith in God. What you're saying is, you know what, God? I could spend this on my bills and I could spend this on my clothes and there's a huge need over here. But God, I'm going to be disciplined in being obedient. I'm going to offer you this gift as an expression of worship. And so here I'm coming by faith. I'm coming by faith and I'm giving out of my need like the widow with her might. Go reread that story. Right, he's on the Temple Mount. There's all this hustle and bustle, hundreds of thousands of people on the Temple Mount because it was a festival. And while all of this is going on, there's this little insignificant widow that no one noticed at all, and she drops a mite smaller than a penny in one of the offering boxes, and Jesus says to his disciples, did you just see that? Did you see that? I'm going to tell you right now, she gave more than all the wealthy people before her because she gave out of her need. It was sacrificial. It hurt. It cut into her. And that step of faith that she took as an act of worship was an expression of how much she trusts me. You know, God, God will, when you orient your, your resources around kingdom giving, God will never let you down. God will always honor your faith. In fact, he says this, bring the full tithe, Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe, don't skimp, don't don't cut corners. Don't limit your giving. You know, it's just fascinating to me. You apply for a house. They say, what's your gross? You give your gross. You apply um, to get a car. You need a loan. You, they say, what's your gross? You give your gross. When it comes to giving, it's like, hey, pastor, is it gross or net? <laughs> is it? And it's like, why are we talking about, like, where did that come from? Right? Where'd that come from? Now is this conversation about, well, you know, after you've done this and that, and you know, don't, don't negotiate with God. Just do what he says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put, check this out, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I am not saying today, and I hear this, hey, you know what? You give and God will give to you. Well, that's true, but that's not why you give. You don't manipulate God through your giving, but God says you put, this is the only time that God calls us to test him. He's like, you test me in this. You try this. You know, you start with 3%, then work your way to 5 Get yourself up to 10 and beyond and watch what God will do. As you take steps of faith, God will honor those steps of faith. 2 Corinthians 9.10, Paul says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Check this out. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. In other words, as you live as a pipeline, listen to me, brothers and sisters, as you live as a pipeline of God's blessings, God pours in and you pour out. And he's using an agricultural term. He's saying God fills your bags with seed and you choose to not hoard it to yourself, but you're distributing to people and for the kingdom, God's going to continue to fill those bags up because you've proven that because you're faithful over a little, he can entrust you with more. That's what the Bible teaches. 
final thing today, thanks for being patient. I pray that you're praying this through. Kingdom giving engages you in the mission of God. The final thing today is this. Kingdom giving engages you in the mission of God. Um, I just want to say this as strongly as I can. Without Christ, people are separated from God and condemned to an eternity of hell. Without Christ, people are separated from God and they're condemned to an eternity from hell. Like pastors don't talk about that today. I'm not saying all pastors. I don't mean to overgeneralize. There are some churches that don't talk about hell. They don't talk about what's really at stake. They don't want to offend anybody. You know, they would rather just sing lullabies to the people of God, sing them to sleep, and say, hey, you know what? Just press on and get through. Someday you'll make it to heaven, but don't worry about anybody else. That's not this church. That's not this church. There's a stark reality that we're dealing with every single day. And that if a person doesn't have Christ as their Savior and Lord, they are condemned to an eternity of hell. And that, that has got to break our hearts. That has got to break our hearts. It's got to remind us that our God is on a rescue mission. You say, what is the mission of God? God is rescuing lost souls. And you know, when we choose to prioritize the mission, the Great Commission, we're aligning ourselves to what matters most to God. I mean, to live as a Christian day by day and never even care that your colleagues at work are going to hell? I mean, you have to, that takes some introspection to say, God, what's really going on in my heart if I don't even care that the people around me who don't know you are destined for hell because life is a vapor. Like anybody at any moment could be breathing their last and then standing before God. And this church is like an aircraft carrier. We're, we're doing sorties every single day. You guys come in, you get equipped, you get refueled, you get, you know, some munitions, and we send you out into Las Vegas to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church is like an aircraft carrier. We got people coming in and getting trained up and sent to other churches. We're planting churches in Las Vegas, planting churches in the Bay Area, on the radar, Mexico City, obviously, Monterey, Guadalajara City, Panama, uh, Santiago, Chile, you know, New England. I'm meeting with some pastors in New England this coming week via Zoom. Like, there's a lot happening here in this church because the awakened church community believes we're bringing a spiritual awakening through a global church planting movement. That's, that's, what, that's what God's put on our hearts. And, you know, if you want a pastor to sing a lullaby, if you want to be uh, entertained, if you want to be coddled, I'll be in the lobby after the service, and, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a name of a, a church that will do that for you. You know, I will. I'll help you out. You know, go, go be a part of that church. This church has a different mission. We just have a different mission. So, so remember, strong Focused church will change the world in Jesus' name.